When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. PMS jokes are not funny. Period. Grab a jam, I swear. And it's a down of my podcast. This guy's insane. Rock to bring. It's just a song. It's the year of Vault. Schmack him a gob. It's time for another Vieira Vault. And I have a... Kind of a special guest, if you want to talk about, like, you know, special ed. Uh, Mark Chikini, <laughs> man. Hey, Mark, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. You know, let's just face it, you could have had Izzy. So, oh, I mean, God. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I kind of like numbers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and we're going to have fun, because uh, you and I are very uh, close at age. I think I was born yeah. months before you in February. What what, what month in '65 were you born? Uh, I, matter of fact, I'm celebrating uh, the double nickel next month. Next month is going to be uh, all right. Cool, man. Double nickel. Yeah, '55. We made it, dude. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's one of the great things you know about meeting people like you. You know, like-minded. We love our rock and roll. We put everything into you know, put everything we do. We give it our all and. You know, we're pretty happy guys for the most part. Yeah, it's it's it, and the and the love for rock and roll. It's just one hundred percent passion. Like like yourself, I'm in a band, and I'm sure you are in the band for the same reason. It's not for fame. It's not for money. It's for the love of it. You know what I mean? Well, I'm sure you noticed know somewhere along the line. Cause matter of fact, and I'm going to plug it in a little bit. My band's new album is going to be available pre-sale on, you know, wherever you pre-sale your music, uh, you know, it's Apple and iTunes and anywhere that you can, you can buy music. Uh, May 8th, uh, our, uh, our new records can be, is you can buy it, uh, pre, pre-buy it or whatever, and you're going to get two songs. And then on my birthday, May 29th, is the release date, which was just pure dumb luck. Um, so um, the record will be released then, and it'll also be, you know, on Spotify and all the, any streaming things that you can possibly think of. So, you know, pretty excited about that. But getting back to that, you're absolutely right. At, at 55 years old, see, when I was a kid growing up, I've been playing drums for about 45 years. I thought at the time that I was playing in a band because I loved chicks and, and you know, and it's cool and all that other stuff. And then by the time when you're making your umpteenth album, when you're in your mid-50s, you realize somewhere along the lines, you know what, I just love doing this. Yeah. I write songs because I like to write songs. I record because I like to record. And, and if I don't do it, it feels like I'm missing an arm. So somewhere along the lines, you're absolutely right. It's passion. When you're a kid, you think you do it for a certain reason. And then in the end, you realize that, you know, you loved it all along. It was never about the girls. It was never about anything else other than this is something I love to do. Yeah, same here, man. And uh, 
you know, <clears throat> you know, it has in my, you know, and I'm sure for you as well, it's paid off where you can keep rolling and it can take care of pressing the records and pressing t-shirts and so on. But it's, there's not a lot of money. Like, you know, you can't make a living out of it in, in, uh, in this situation, but it doesn't matter, man. What, what matters is like to hear yourself, to hear what you created from scratch. It's such a great, awesome feeling. And when other people like it, it's like, you know, uh, what icing on the cake. But it, in reality, if nobody liked what I did, I if I like it, it's a success. And that's how you got to look at things. Because once you start thinking of I should do this because of you know it'll it'll appeal to these this group of people, uh, that's when you start to suck. Well, I will tell you, you know, let's go let's go to my favorite band in the world, um, the hottest band in the world. We know who that is. Um, Gene, Paul, uh, Tommy, and Eric. What? Um, look, listen to me. What you just said is exactly why I segued into this. <laughs> Sonic Boom, Sonic Boom, when that came out, I was so happy. And I'll tell you why I was so happy when that came out. Because there was no attempt to follow a trend for the first time since Creatures of the Night, really. Because that was the first Kiss record that came out that didn't have a, a bit, not even a fucking hair of, okay, what's popular now? Let's try writing a song that way because maybe it'll get played on the radio. They, that's why I love that record. That's why I love Monster as well. Well, I was going to bring... Finally, yeah, go ahead. No, they finally went, you know what? We're just going to fucking bring... 10 songs to the party that we like, that we wrote, where the bass player actually plays bass and the lead guitar player actually plays lead guitar on it. And and you can tell. And I will say this to anybody who's listening to this. If you don't like Sonic Boom and Monster, it's because you didn't listen to it. I've met so many fans when I, you know, especially like on a cruise or at a kiss show, if you get some of those fans who start, you know, poo-pooing it, because I don't do this stuff on the internet. There's just too many idiots. But when you're face-to-face with another fan, and I've even done it on her show, um, I've had a guest who will remain nameless. No, you're right. He's a good guest, nice guy. But, you know, he was kind of saying, oh, you know, Sonic, I'm like, well, you know, and I just started naming some song titles. I'm like, what do you think of that? Well, I really don't know the material. Well, then how come it sucks? How do you know it sucks? Maybe it does, but you didn't listen to it. How can you tell me it's fucking terrible? Well, I, well, in my in in my opinion, I do agree with you where they are not following trends and they're doing the, you know, it kind of sounds like seventies Kiss. I, I admit it. Songs just don't connect with me. But I love Monster, and and Monster is different. You gotta admit it's uh, I don't know. There's there's a different vibe to Monster. And believe me, you know you know where I stand with current Kiss, and I, you you can imagine the flack I get for saying I like Monster. But here's the here's the thing: what am I going to say? I don't like Monster when I actually do. That may that'll make me a poser. You know what I'm saying? Well, put it this way: you listen to a song like Back to the Stone Age on that. Love it. That is obviously Gene and Paul trying to fucking capture an MC5 vibe. Yeah. That's out the dance. How can you go wrong with that? Well, you know what I mean? Well, that's what I'm talking about. That music 
both records are, are very much brother sister records, meaning they're you know you could, they're pretty interchangeable. Both of those records are, as Jimmy Walker would say, are his dynamite. I love those records. And if you're honest with yourself, like you just said, there are, put it this way, I always use this as the metrics, okay? That's a big word. Um, actually, it's kind of a small word, and I'm not going to go into the big Gene Simmons. The G word. So, but, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I, here's my metrics for this. Could, could most of the songs from Sonic Boom and Monster, could they have fit on the first six and a half because you got to include side four of Kiss Alive 2, which is what people consider the glory years. Could they have fit on those records? And the answer is yes. Don't believe me? Um, Hell or Hallelujah could have been on Love Gun because it's basically a rewrite of I Stole Your Love anyway. I love that song. What's that? I love that song. So do I, but, but you hear what, you, you understand what I'm saying. There is a thin line between that song and Love Gun. There's a thin line, you know, on, on, on like, Stand, that could have been on Destroyer. It's got that sing-along chorus. It, it's, it, you know what I mean? It's got the, 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 the basic one, two, three, four drum beat. You can't say that about my way off of Crazy Nights. That wouldn't have fit anywhere on the first six and a half albums. You can, look, I love the song, and I absolutely love King of the Mountain, but that wouldn't have been on the first six and a half records. Right. But that, I, that's my point. The whole 80s stuff doesn't sound like the band I fell in love with. Are there parts of it that I like? Yes. I always stayed a fan. And, and while I talk about this as a Kiss fan, too, and here's where you and I disagree on something, because I know I don't dislike the, the Tony Martin era of Black Sabbath, because Black Sabbath is every bit as important to me as Kisses. I mean, I love them just as much, and I'm a geeky fan about, you know, I can recite the entire uh, Sabbath catalog, and I'm a total Sabbath geek, and I've seen them, you know, literally dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And, um, but I, 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 as uh, Pee Wee would say, I like Dottie. I like the uh, Tony Martin era. I, I like certain sections of it better than others, but I still to this day haven't warmed up to it. And I'm kind of the same thing uh, about Kiss from Animal Eyes through On the Shade. Uh, it's okay. It's not, not horrible, horrible, but I still to this day, eh, you know, has its moments, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of that stuff. Um, but like Kiss, uh, Black Sabbath totally changed after the 70s. I mean, Heaven and Hell is a masterpiece. It's perfection, but it doesn't sound like Black Sabbath. That's that's Bill Ward on drums on Heaven and Hell. That doesn't sound like Bill Ward to me. It's too in the pocket, you know what I mean? Bill Ward is a little more sporadic. Well, you do know that, you know, those a lot of the bass parts originally were done by, was it Greg? Gruber, yeah, it was. Gre- it, yes, it was Greg Gruber. Um, he came up with Heaven and Hell. The dun, 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 dun. Yeah, that both. I, I, you know, I was just talking to the bass player in my band the other day about it because he didn't know that. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, dun, 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 dun. that's not like anything Martin Geezer would play. And, and he's like, no. So I showed him the article that you know Gruber talks about 
you know, coming up with a lot of that stuff. And uh, I believe Nichols, Nichols had a hand I, in that. Story. I was about to say, you know, uh, Jeff Nichols, I could be wrong, but, you know, I've read a lot of Sabbath books, and I'm pretty sure on the, in the book Doom Let Loose, uh, even uh, Jeff... Book. That was one of Martin's best. Yeah, love that book. It's out of print, unfortunately, yeah, but it's like, a, it's the Sabbath Bible to me. Um, I still have mine. Yeah, I believe it's in that book. It's either in that book or the other uh, Martin book. Um, uh, well, he's got a couple. Black Sabbath he Facts. Did, yeah, he, he, well, yeah, the FAQ book, the Sabbath. But he also just did one called Sabotage, um, which is all the 70s. And then there's, uh, I can't remember the, the other one, that's all post-Ozzy material. I have that one, too. Um, matter of fact, I've got, you know, anybody listening to, this show right now uh do yourself a favor either pause us right now which i wouldn't recommend because let's face it ralph and i are on a tear but um if, if you want to afterwards go to martinpopoff.com and uh tell him that we sent you he's he that guy's writing and it's not just sabbath i mean just metal in general you want to build up a great library and, and read some incredible stuff and find out stuff you don't even trust me you don't even know some of the stuff that you think you know He'll break it down for you. This guy is so well researched, but uh, yeah, Martin Popoff's books, especially about Black Sabbath, are phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, and and like I, uh, I was saying, like uh, Jeff um, Jeff Nichols had a lot to do, even with uh, the music. So I guess it would include the bass playing. You know, maybe some of that stuff he told Craig. All right, play it like this. You know, uh, the only thing that Geezer was a hundred percent on was Neon Knights. Uh, Neon Knights. Yeah, he was back in the fold by then. Yeah, because what happened was Geezer left the band, and then he heard some of the Heaven and Hell stuff and said, hey, I'll come back, you know? Yep, yep. But, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's phenomenal. But, I, you know, I do hear a lot of the Dio era in the Martin era. You know, I, I hear it. I hear uh, a lot of the vibe uh, musically. And, come on, let's face it, it's Tony Iommi's riffs. I mean, the guy is, like, endless with the riffs. And, and like, you know, look, how you were gl- glowing about Sonic Boom now, it made me say, all right, you just talked about the song Stand. Let me give it another chance. You know, when I did a review for the Asylum album, I hated Secretly Cruel. I thought that song sucked. Now it's my favorite song off the album, so you never know. I might I might warm up to Sonic Boom. Uh, fortunately, somebody, a really cool guy out there, bought, uh, sent me the vinyl. I mean, that was, I mean, you can't get that. I'm sure you have it, right? But you got it when it first came um, out at, at a good price. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I look, as you, I think you know this story. Matter of fact, this is kind of a nice little, just put it this way. You know, Ralph, doing this stuff that we do, um, you know, meaning that the podcast, it's no different than why we're in a band. Look, we just like to, when we're not making music, we like to talk about music. Yeah. Just as a fan of music. Think about it, dude. You know, obviously, you know, Ralph, you know, I was fortunate enough to see, you know, like Randy Rhodes with Ozzy and all these other shows that you and I have just talked about in private. Could you imagine if we had all those? Oh, my God. I would have loved to have that sunrise show with Randy, the one I saw. I would have loved with High and Dry, Def Leppard. That would have been amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm like, if you go back and all the shows that we've seen, to have a, a have an actual soundboard copy, I, 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 
literally be invaluable. I, I, I don't, I, oh my God, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I'd give, but it'd be a lot to, to have it's, copies of every single show that I've ever been to. And it's literally thousands. And I, I would, oh, there's so many shows I'd like to revisit, you know, uh, the, the very first, I, first time I saw Van Halen was on uh, Women and Children First. Same or, here, yeah, me too. And I, and I remember being, well, you know, I think a lot of this was you and I because of our age. You know, yeah. We were right at that age where we could start going to concerts and stuff. And, you know, just seeing all those special memories. You know, I saw Cooper on the, on the, um, uh, oh, what the fuck's, uh, the Special Forces tour with the Joe Perry Project opening. Wow. I'm like, yeah, that's, again, you know, I think back, I remember seeing Maiden on the Number of the Beast tour opening for Judas Priest on the Screaming for Vengeance tour, you know? Yeah. And just going back in time, and I'm like, those were such magical shows, you know? And uh, God, I'd, I'd love, to, love to revisit some of those, but uh, I have them in my memory. We got, we got boned in Florida. On uh, Screaming for Vengeance tour, we had Uriah Heep. And I, I I don't know about you, but I, that's a band I could never. Well, like, that was a good that was a good era, wasn't it? The Abominon. It was era? the Abominon. I don't know. I, my, my, I don't know why I own that album because the album cover is so cool. I bought really it. Really good. Oh man, I know a guy that claims it's the greatest album ever made. I don't get it. I don't. I don't know. It's a little too AOR. And I have Magician's Birthday. I've tried. I've tried with Uriah Heep. Now <laughs> I, I saw I saw Uriah Heep not too long ago open for Priest again. And they were awesome, and I'm like, mm, man, I need to, I need to get into, you know, Uriah because live they're really good, and and I'll tell you a very a weird parallel about that show with uh, Judas Priest, Mark. Um, I saw Randy Rhodes, uh, you know, with Ozzy at the Sunrise Musical Theater. Then I saw Priest with Uriah Heep, which had Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake at the time. That's correct. So I saw. Rudy Sarzo and Tommy Aldridge, at, but I actually saw the Blizzard of Oz lineup at different different shows you know, on the same stage, which was odd, an odd uh, parallel, you know. But um, yeah, I, I like to go back in time, though, Mark. What what was it that 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 triggered your your fandom for hard rock music? Yeah, I left, I left at nine. Okay, so I don't know what things were like on the East Coast here. And I've talked to a lot of my friends in the Midwest here, especially because I'm in Detroit. I know, I know cities like Cleveland and Toledo and Chicago. Um, roller skating was really huge. Um, and I was fortunate. Um, matter of fact, next to music, my other passion is, Hockey. I'm. I do, I. do I still play in a band? Yes. Guess what? I also still play on a hockey team. I play uh, competitive hockey with refs and standings and leagues and penalties and all that. You know, just like you see on TV. I still play hockey too because I love that um, just as much as I as I love music. So you can only imagine how right. picky I am about hockey. But anyways. Um, as a, as a chubby little kid, um, especially right when you're like 10 years old, you're, you know, 
And I'm a late comer on that one. I just got that like two years ago. remember it with Michael J. Fox and Joan Jett, yeah. Mm-hmm. It made sense to me. The, these scary guys, 
guys should sound like how Parasite sounds. You know what I mean? If they were singing about daffodils and acoustic guitars and, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, it wouldn't have worked. But, you know, the the opening chords of Got to Choose made sense to me. That That's what, this looks like it should sound, you know, and the sound looks like it should, you know, that whole sort of thing, it all tied together. And, uh, and I just remember, too, you know, he had, because my older brother is the one who, who got me into Kiss. Um, you know, again, you know, he's a few years older than me, and uh, that was cool in the high schools or in the junior highs and stuff, you know, so. What was, uh, was, was Kiss your gateway, though? Well, here's the thing, uh, in, in, in Michigan, again, I live in the Detroit area, um, music's a big deal here, and I've talked to other people, especially friends who, um, you know, maybe have lived down south, or, again, much like you, Ralph, we talk to a lot of music fans. Right. The only way to say it growing up here is if you weren't into rock and roll, you just weren't paying attention. I mean, it was, it was coming at you, the Motown, you know, everything from the Motown sound on down, I mean, it was just fucking beat you over the head with it. And, and I was just a, you know, a willing victim. I, I loved, I couldn't get enough. You know, it was music on morning to day, you know, morning to night. I loved it. And I, I, you know, again, having an older brother and an older sister really helped because, you know, they were at the target. You know, keep in mind, when, when they were like 12 and 13, where, you know, AM radio is such a big deal. You know, I was, you know, eight and nine. And what do you do when you're that? You follow your older and brother or sister around. And, you know, that it was, again, as, as I was growing up, it was a big deal. And, and, and look, you know, Bob Seger was huge here before he was, you know, national news. And and I, Kiss was huge here. And, you know, I, I, you know, we had, keep in mind, at, at one time Detroit had four FM hard rock or rock stations that played, you know, hard rock music. So it was hard not to, you know, not to be inundated by it and, and, and I took to it, man. But as a gateway for KISS, yeah, it would have to be. But at the same time, you know, there was so much else going around. I mean, Ted Nugent was huge here. Um, Aerosmith was huge here. Um, a, another band that I think is criminally overlooked, just, and it's not a heavy metal or hard rock band, but as a, as a normal rock band, there's few bands that can touch Jay Giles live. Now, if all you know about Jay Giles is centerfold, then you don't know anything about Jay Giles. Go, go listen to the Blow Your Face Out record. I mean, that's the shit, man. And that's the stuff that I was raised on. See, that but I don't know. I don't know none of that. I know Love Stinks and Come Back and Centerfold. That's all in free nah, thing. Do me a favor. As soon as we're off this, go get a live album. I don't know if you have Spotify or even you can go to YouTube. No, it's on YouTube, I'm sure. Go, go listen to Full House. Okay. That that is the shit, man. Um, the first the first songs, first I look at the purse. Oh my god, that is just you know if you want to just talk about old school rock and roll, get you off your feet, you know, you know, or get you on your feet out of your seat, that stuff. And then the the the, the hard. And this is what I'm talking about. You know how because a lot of hard rock bands they, they do like a lot of the 
that stuff is just so fucking incredible. And, uh, you know, I cannot, if you like rock music, man, and, and I, like I just said, though, too, and, and let's face it, a lot of this stuff is regional, you know? Yeah. A couple of years ago, um, Jake Isles did some reunion shows. They did them in Detroit, and they did them in, in Boston, where they're from. I mean, I, and I'm not exaggerating here. I, and, and another example of this is something that you had on your Facebook, I think, yesterday. You were playing the first Rockets album. Yeah. Which is phenomenal. Oh, so, uh, I, I want everyone out here in, 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 in uh, Dr. Fuckland know that if you've ever heard of Pine Knob, which is, you know, like a twelve to 14,000 seat amphitheater here in Detroit, um, no bullshit. In the, in the heyday, in the late 70s, early 80s, Jake Isles would play for a week there. You heard me right, for a week there. The Rockets could play for a week there. Unbelievable. They're selling that place out every... Well, that's what it was like here. That's, yeah. that's kind of what I'm, yeah. I'm trying to let people know. This this, this town, man. Well, that's, that's your advantage, though, Mark, because I moved to Trendy, South Florida, where it was all about disco, and I couldn't relate. Uh, I, you know, because you got... I didn't get into, like, music, like, hardcore till I got double platinum. Um, because before that, all I liked was movies. All I did was go to movies. And it wasn't until I, uh, I did buy a couple 45s. I bought Sweet uh, Little Willie. I bought Benny and the Jets. You know, I bought a couple, you know, uh, little radio hits back then. But it wasn't until I heard Double Platinum. Now, the first rock album I bought was um, Kansas Left Overture, thanks to the movie Heroes with uh, Henry Winkler and Sally Fields. Uh, cause I was so, yeah, I was so into movies that that's how the movie ended with that song. And I was like, man, that song's good. And then I bought that album and, you know, and then I bought a couple ELO, but I still wasn't hooked. It wasn't until I heard, I want you, my friend played me. I want you. I went out to the store. I, I, I didn't know it was on rock and roll over. I bought double platinum cause it was on there. And it was cause of that album. It just opened the floodgates where I had to discover that's when I started getting into Alice Cooper and Ted Nugent and Aerosmith. I mean, all that stuff. But it was already 78, 79. My very first Aerosmith album was uh, Night in the Ruts when it was brand new. You know, it, and I'm a late bloomer, but boy, did I have a lot of catching up to do. Since you were in Detroit, the Motor City, and it was like, you know, I mean, there's something about, I guess it's because of the environment, the, the, the building of cars, the hardworking people. You guys it's had very much like what, what Sabbath says about Birmingham, England. Exactly. The... It's, it's no different than what Rob Halford says, you know, about Birmingham. Because Detroit and Birmingham, they just happen to be in different locations. But the rest of it's pretty much the same, you know. It was a big, loud fucking place to to be there. To be, a matter of fact, I just watched um, the the Stooges um, documentary uh, not too long ago, The Gimme Danger. And, you know, Iggy's from where, I mean, look, you know, I, I, I mentioned earlier that, um, you know, one of the things that I loved about Kiss's Monster is there's one tune on there where they're certainly copying the vibe. Matter of fact, Eric Singer, I, I said that to him, he's like, you're exactly right. That's exactly what Gene, when we were working on the song, he's like, think, and you know, um, kick out the jams. That, the, 
unapologetically ripped off. Right. They were going for that vibe. Well, that's kind of, if you think about it, and even Lemmy, Lemmy, if if you're a fan of Motor, which I know you are. A huge fan. I heard it. I heard I heard that episode. You know, my first one was the live one. Uh, oh, that was great. Right yeah, before, right, blood. yeah, if you want blood, right before, that was my first, my friend bought that album. That, and and I'll tell you a funny story, the first time I heard it, I was like, I don't know about this singer, man, he sounds like an alien. And now Bon Scott's one of my favorite singers of all time, you know? Yeah, well, you know, too, I mean, keep in mind, you know, what we, we what we call heavy metal now, it, it, it's, it's funny, because just this, uh, Brandle, as a matter of fact, is doing all the 
marketing for our new record. And one of the, the you know the questions you have to put it into a category. And I put it, I wanted to put it in rock. And, he, and then he was like, well, you should put it in heavy metal. And I'm like, look, man, what passes for metal these days? I don't like a lot of the new. I don't even know, you know. What what we what what was called heavy metal when we were now keeping for you younger fans because there's a lot of you out there. In 1979, Aerosmith was under the heavy metal tag. Mark Ed Nugent was the heavy metal tag. Mark, do you remember? Do you remember the Cream magazine that said is heavy metal dead, and it had pictures of Boston, Kansas, Sticks, Nugent, ACDC. That was yep. metal. Bloister Cult. Heart was metal. Uh, people don't yeah. remember. ACDC was, and you know, man, and what you mentioned, Let There Be Rock, man, you can't get rawer than that fucking shit, you know? Especially at the time. That was like, that was about it, you know? It was so raw, and people don't understand. And people, what really drives me nuts about some people is when they slam Phil Rudd. And I'm like, you know what? You get your money, and nothing against Mike Portnoy, and I love Neil Peart, but go watch the movie Let There Be Rock, and let's see either of them play Let There Be Rock with, with that type of veracity that Phil Rudd was doing. Their arm would fall off. You know what I'm saying? It's not even so much that. It's the feel and the time. Just take this from a drummer who's been playing for 45 years. There's a reason that ACDC sold all those records. It's the same reason that Charlie Watts sold all those records for the Stones. It's the same reason that that the Beatles sold all those records with fucking Ringo. What do all three of those guys have in common? Feel like an unnatural, godlike feel for a pop song. And, and those guys know where to play and where not to play. And if you think it's easy, you don't fucking know a thing about drums. That's what I say, man. If you think what Phil Rudd does is easy, you're clueless. You know what? Here's here's something. I actually, on a road trip back from a kiss show while earlier this year, I pointed out to somebody. Next time, this is a super geeky, geeky thing to do. Maybe you might, you might even want to try it. One of my favorite Phil Rudd moments is what he doesn't play. If you if you're playing eardrums, you know where you know your hand is hitting the steering wheel on the snare hits. The yeah. guitar solo part in the middle of for those about to rock, Bill purposely doesn't. He missed it, and it's not an it's not a, it's not an accident. You can he did it on purpose. Totally changes the feel of the solo right there. That da 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 da. And then he purposely misses one. And I'm like, see? And I made my buddy rewind. He's like, oh my God. That's, that is like so epic that I, it's, it's always fits so well I never noticed it. Because we were talking about the same thing. And I was telling him how great Phil Rudd is. And he agrees. He's a drummer as well. I'm like, did you ever notice that where he pulls back, he doesn't hit the snare on that spot? And he's like, oh my God, I've never noticed that. And that, that, I always loved that part of the song. That's probably why. And we must have played it over like a, a couple of times going, isn't that fucking brilliant? Yeah. And, and it's that kind of stuff that I get all giddy about, as you can just tell, you know. I, I love talking music that way, where I love pointing out brilliance, whether 
you know, and it doesn't, that's the whole thing. Look, man, I love Neil Peart, too. I'm a total Rush geek. By the way, another band that was huge in Detroit, um, you know, early on. Um, you know, I, I love that stuff. And, and for as cool as 2112 is and stuff, so was Let There Be Rock. So was The Girls Got Rhythm, you know, so that dum you know, that, just that bass drum. Dude, that's the shit. And did you that's, ever notice, did you ever notice, Mark, uh, Girls Got Rhythm is only one riff the whole time? You can say the same thing about uh, Problem Child. Yeah. And, and it works. Oh, it doesn't go down the neck a little bit. It's the same riff. But, but it, doesn't, it doesn't have that repetitious, annoying feel to it. You know what I'm saying? It works. Because and that's talent, man. Yeah, they're insane. Insane good. And you know what's funny? One of the bands you mentioned earlier was a band that I liked a lot growing up, but now I'm super geeky about them, is, is Bloister Cult. I, I always liked them. I was, I was into them as a kid. Um, but the, the stri- uh, um, what's the fuck is the live record, the one from 70? On, on um, your feet? No, no, that one's great too. But the one after it, Some Enchanted um, Evening. Some Enchanted Evening. Yes, that record. I don't know what it is. Probably in the last five years, I've probably played that more than pretty much any record I own. I, I fucking love that album, and I liked it as a kid. But I love the they put that deluxe version out of it a few years ago, and they added like four or five songs, and I'm like, I, I, that's where I sit back and I listen, and I'm like. You know how how did this not get bigger? <laughs> Although that that record is a platinum record, it was matter of fact, I think that's the biggest record they ever had. Really, more than um, Fire of Unknown Origins, huh? I believe so. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I think that's their biggest seller. Um, and it's funny too because I think um, I can't remember the name of the song offhand, but it's on the next record. Because I, I was always wondered, like, because I. I like I like Burning View, but I, that's that's like not even the best song on that record, in my opinion. Oh yeah, you no, know? I I agree too. I like uh, Soul Survivor. I like quite a few, but I do like Burning for You. It's got a good hook. Yeah, it's good. Um, I'm trying to think of the song off the next record. Take me away. <laughs> yes, that's even better. Oh, that song that's rules. That's one of my favorite Floyd's the Cole songs. I know. Yep. That's 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 why I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> you know I mean? And it does kind of have the same like hooky feel, you know, the little guitar thing that Burning for You has, but it's it's like improved. It's like a new and improved Burning for You, I think. You know. Yes, but my point is, yes, they 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 tried to, you know, rewrite another hit, and I don't think that happens a lot, but that happened there. That version's better than. Burning for you, if you know what I mean. I thought they 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 made a better drink, if you want to say it that way. It was the I, I love that fucking song. It's, you know, it's um, so well constructed. That little bridge, I t- turn myself into the sky. That little that, bridge is so hooky. It's so good, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's just so. Quick. And then again, you know, we do this a lot. <laughs> yes, you're exactly right. You get it because you're just as passionate about this. Stupid, crazy shit 
you notice those things. You're absolutely right. I love I love when I think I'm the only one who thinks that way, and then you just like go boom. Oh yeah, that one. Yeah, I remember it's written just like, I'm like you get it. You pay attention. I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, it took me, you know, many years after you, but still, I caught up. I caught up with, uh, with, with the, with the passion and the music, and, uh, and, and, and kind of like I think we share so much philosophy too, because of timeline too. I mean, I think, uh, you know, you may have grown up in a better area as far as getting into music, but once I caught up, I think we still we kind of have the same mentality. In a lot of things, I think I, I've seen it. You know, I've heard you on three sides talk about. You know, I remember you talking about the sweet. I was like, oh yeah. You know, not a lot of people talk about the sweet. Sweet. You know, everybody knows Ballroom Blitz, Fox on the Run, and Love Is Like Oxygen. But man, that band is so much deeper than that. They oh have. My God. You, you, oh, I tell you what. You, well, because a lot of people don't realize, like everything that's pretty much, you know, in the United States, the Desolation Boulevard. You know, the original Desolation Boulevard release was nothing like the one that we have. Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, Fox on the Run is a totally different song. Uh, that is a great that is a great example of a DJ and, and the record company listening to one another going, hey, tell you what, let me add this, you know, crazy keyboard part. And let's straighten this part out a little bit, and I think we're going to have a hit. Because that's what they did with Fox on the Run. That was released in Europe as a single, totally different. The vibe is totally different. Um, again, you know, Ralph, like I said, this is for the younger viewers. They may know the song, but they may not know the history of it. That, you know, they Americanized, for lack of a better word, they Americanized the, the uh, that song. And next thing you know, I mean, holy shit. You want to talk about roller skating and stuff that summer of 75. Geez, that was, that was, I was probably at the DJ desk more for that one than, than anything else, I still have my my uh, my forty five of that one. That's uh, and boy, the guitar sound on that stuff and let me free, you know, uh, set me free and just oh my god, set me free. No, you don't, sweet fa. They have yep, sweet so- fa especially cockroach. You could, tell he was a big black, you could tell he was a big Blackmore fan. Fuck, he was riching, r- ripping off Richie's licks verbatim. On, uh, on some of that stuff. Did you ever hear their B-side called Burning? Yeah, I got it, that. It's such a rip-off of Immigrant Song. I mean, it's the same thing. dun 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 dun, dun ah, You know? They yeah. just go, ah, instead of, ah. And they, well, you know who used to do a lot of that is uh, Crocus, you know? Um, they, God, they must have ripped off half a dozen fucking uh, band oh, company. Long Stick and, Goes Boom that, is ACDC, 100%. Yeah, that, Oh yeah, they they do that a lot, but uh, boy, that was another band that I really was really into. And again, the, the first time I heard them was on Detroit radio in 1980, because I think it was uh, the Metal Rendezvous record. And I remember the DJ verbatim. This is one of the things that made me go. Put it this way: this made me go buy the record. The guy they were playing uh, Heat Stroke, and he said he called them the Swiss. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, okay, I gotta get this. And I went out and I bought it. And I was next thing you know, what's isn't bedside radio on that too? Yes, it is. Um, yeah, that that stuff's just so great. You know, there's some brain damage drumming. Freddie Steady, remember his? Uh, you know, God, that's that's just great stuff, man. Yeah, I, I, I believe it or not, 
that's how I discovered them. Uh, South Florida Radio played Heat Strokes. And uh, I bought it as well. There's an there's a song on there called Tokyo Nights. Yeah, I love that song. My God, that's so Scorpions though. But I love it. Oh yeah. But it's so Scorpions. But I love it. Fire. I mean that that album is unbelievably good. Um, and like an idiot, I kind of lost touch with Crocus till somebody donated for us to review it on our podcast, and I was like, my God, man. I forgot how good these damn songs are because I just like, all right, Crocus, uh, headhunter, man, you know, but man, one vice at a time. And, uh, one vice is probably their best record. Yeah. Um, I'm a little lean toward headhunter, but I love one vice, you know, one vice is awesome. That's the first time I Uh, saw them. I saw them open for rainbow. Yeah. 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 Uh, on, and and I met them too that day. They were at the merch stand, and I had them sign my Crocus tour book, which I have to this day. My one one vice at a time tour book. <laughs> yeah, that was that's a great isn't down the drain in that record. Yes, um, I love that fucking album. I, I like Head Hunter too. I like the uh, the BTO cover that stayed awake all night. Uh, um, you, you see, I learned something every day. I had no idea that was a cover. Yes, it's a it's a BTO song, huh? And for all you Green Kiss Box. Geeks, uh, rock and roll, uh, what is it? Um, yeah, rock and roll rock hell. Yeah. Is BTO. Yes. Although, all they did on rock and roll hell. It was um, the chorus, right? That's a really, yeah, it was just the chorus. The rest of the song is, 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 is different. Uh, but yeah, I love Stayed Awake on it, it, it doesn't, uh, doesn't rock Halford even help out on that. Rob Halford's so, on, I, uh, come on, oh, what's the name of the damn song? The oh, third. That, Ready to burn. Ready, Ready to, to burn. burn. Yeah, Rob Hoffert's yeah. on that one. Yeah, no, they were awesome, man. Off. Well, they they were until you know. See, for me, they they suffered the same fate that both Raven and Accepted. As soon as the record companies, you know, infused some cash and changed things around, they lost their soul. Because look, what's the that Midnight Maniac thing? Is the most gay ass bullshit. The Blitz. And I, I gave up on them, and then my buddies, like, said when the Heart Attack album came out, what was, when was that? It was probably, like, what, 89? 80, 88, 89, yeah. Yeah, I love that record. Because they started, they sounded like Crocus again. Yeah, yeah. And and the same thing and with I, Raven. Raven, uh, Excess, is, uh, they, after that, that album, man, they released none but quality albums. But the thing is, nobody cared no more because of that one album or that two one or two albums. Because change of address was even worse than the Blitz. I mean, that was yeah, really, cool. really bad. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, again, you know, wasn't it until Heart Attack came out? Or yeah, Heart Attack came out. I'm like, okay, they're back. Matter of fact, what was the song they re- they redid a song that I think was on Metal Rendezvous? On Heart um, Attack? Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. I don't remember yeah, that. They, they, um. Don't make me get up because I'm gonna go fucking over to my K section. Well, I'll, I'll go. I'll go right now on Wikipedia and look it up. Heart attack. My favorite track on there is Axe Attack. That song. Yeah, was. great. All right, let's they see. They redid a song from Metal Rock. Oh no, they did something from Hardware called Winning Man. That's it. That's it. Not Hardware. Yeah, I'm sorry. Whatever. I know it was an older song, but uh, I love that song though. Yeah, no, but, but that that album was definitely a return to form. But I remember that album did nothing. Uh, they did a video for "Let It Go," 
but showed a couple times a headbanger's ball, and that was it. You know, but thinking of let it go, I, I'm hoping that you bought that uh, recent depth. Oh, Mark, let me tell you something. <laughs> I found the early. I'm a huge, huge fan of On Through the Night and High and Dry. I ordered that when it came out for. It was fifty nine. It's usually it's like seventy dollars everywhere. But I found it for 59 bucks in the UK. It's still not here. I should have paid the 70 bucks. Oh my God, you gotta be kidding me. I must have burned the fucking grooves off those discs already. A, they sound so great. And I will tell you the one thing I was shocked. I just assumed, you know, I'm not a big details guy. I just saw that was coming out. And I just assumed that the strikes EP was going to be part of it because it's their early years, right? Yeah. You just figured that out. Well, like, Heat in the Street isn't on there, and I fucking love that. Yeah, no, no and I, I believe uh, War Child's not on there. There's a bunch of stuff not on there, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, which, again, I just assumed I was going to open it up and all that stuff would be there because yeah. I'm a geeky fan and I've collected all that stuff and I have it. And I'm like, great, it's going to be in, you know, fantastic shape. And I'm like, motherfucker, it's not even on here. Yeah, that, like, yeah, that's a shame. Did, why, I'm like, why wasn't I consulted? They should have asked me. I'll tell them what they should have put on there. But I will tell you though, because um, I like uh, um, "Glad I'm Alive" is one of my one favorite of my favorite songs. Is glad, and also the the B side, "Good Morning Freedom," is so good. Well, hold on. "Glad I'm Alive," Ralph. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you've heard the version on on the box set. There's a version that I didn't have before that has an extra guitar riff, which is even better than the version on the fucking First Strike CP. Wow! No, I don't. I've had, I've had, for, I have a lot of bootlegs too from Def Leppard. I have a live recording of it, BBC, and I own the First Strike's vinyl actually. But no, and I love that song, so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to hear that version. Yeah, I actually, matter of fact, I have a, I'm a because I'm an old guy i still use my ipod which goes back to like i said i'm not a streaming guy or anything i i, I like to listen to my playlist mm-hmm. so my so my playlist from, from Def leopard only consists of the ep and the first two records because i just can't listen to anything after fucking high and dry it's a different band really I, I i liked pyromania for the most part eh. you didn't like like die hard to hunter and uh, eh. uh What's that song? Um, Coming under fire. I tell you, what, I I do like rock, rock. I just wish it had. Put it this way: I wish that I was allowed to go back and use the same production value on High and Dry for that record. And I and I it would have it would have been incredible. Because look, I'm not going to bullshit it. There's a lot of great songs on there. They're really the songs are fantastic. Too late for love is a, is a phenomenal song. I just can't deal with the production. It drives me. Uh, the, the best example of that is Rock, Rock to You Drop. They start ding, ding with the fucking keyboard when you come to. Are you kidding me? <laughs> All I know is get fucking Pete Willis in here, and I want him here now. Yeah. Because he wouldn't let that sound like that. You know, I, I, like I said, no Pete, no me. I, well, yeah, I mean. 
and Peter's all over uh, Pyromania. He just didn't play on it. Or he, I think he did a little rhythm here and there, but he, he wrote a lot of those songs. But, That's correct. But, yeah, I mean, I will admit, I mean, the two before are way better than Pyromania, but eh, I'm not... I, I, I didn't really hate Pyromania, you know. It was, you know, at the time, it was fucking awesome. And seeing that tour, you know, it was with Crocus, by the way. Crocus yeah. opened a lot back then. I saw open for Rainbow, for Kiss, Animalize, for Def Leppard. They they opened up for a lot of bands back then. Yeah, they actually got quite a bit of airplay here in Detroit. Uh, Screaming in the Night was huge. Yeah, it was. It down here, too. But, the, yeah, um, what was the other one they used to... They used to Stay Awake on? All Night, they played on the radio down here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, uh, and I know you know this, but, you know, maybe not the listeners... Um, you know, I, I'm down in the Tampa area a lot. Um, my family has a place down there, and they've had it down there since the 80s. So that's like a second home for me, so much so that I, I even follow all the local, you know, Tampa sports. And, you know, I, I know the area like the back of my hand. It's a second home, you know. But speaking of which, I always, 98 Rock was always a little ahead of the curve to here. Um, you know, I remember the first time that, I remember them playing Rainbow a lot down down there. I remember when I'd go visit like my grandparents and um, and uh, you know, or not so much my grandpa, just going the radio. The radio in Tampa was really good. I like '98 Rock. Matter of fact, you guys and because when I go see my grandparents in Fort Lauderdale, there was a really good rock radio station down there. Too. I'm talking like 1980-81 because I remember going down there and I remember hearing stuff off of. Ted Nugent's Intensities record. I remember they're playing. I, I remember more than once I heard the Flying Lip Lock. Yes, you. It, it must have been either WSHE or Zeta Four, right? Yep. I just remember. I just all I remember is that you know I, my my grandparents lived in a like a retirement area, and they had like one of those tricycle bikes. Uh-huh. And I remember. I remember. My, my grandparents are, you know, old school, old school Italian, but fucking super cool. And the fact that I was their grandson, I mean, they, they treated all the grandkids that way. You know, we were their, we were their everything. So they made sure they pampered us. And I remember going down there, my grandpa would let me put his little transistor radio, you know, in the basket. And, the, and I remember just riding around the neighborhood. You know, I'm 15 years old, but, you know, some long-haired kid in shorts, you know, listening to the fucking rock radio driving around a you know a big tricycle bike down in the retirement community but you know it was just it was, again i just remember liking the radio in the in the in the, in the lauderdale area they played a lot of good stuff and quite, i'll be honest too they were playing stuff that they weren't playing in detroit and and again just as a music geek i was always like that was a big deal if i went to another city i wanted to hear what was on the radio and um, I, I have another, you know, a little example of that is, uh, you know, I, I mentioned hockey earlier. And when I was a uh, when I was a kid growing up, one of the things that we used to do was called billeting. And this is such a sign of the fucking times. You'd never do this now. I mean, put it this way: there'd be fucking protests if you did this now. But dude, this is how I grew up. We did this everywhere. It was called billeting. Like my parents. We drive to Toronto, which is like four hours, three and a half, four hours from Detroit. We drive to Toronto. We get to the rink on a Friday afternoon. 
if I if my number was five, I went home uh, with the number five on that team after our game. We'd play Friday evening, Saturday afternoon, and we'd play Sunday afternoon and go home. You know, I'd go back with my folks. No background checks, no nothing. You're number five, you stay at number five's house. Just met them that, that day, that afternoon. No, you know, no signing any papers, no nothing. And I did this for years, like from when I was a little kid up until I was a, a teenager. But in the, in, in the winter of 1978, I, I was billeted at this kid's house, and I was wearing a Kiss t-shirt, and his older brother, who was quite a bit older, he was old enough to go to the bar. He's probably 19. And he was telling me how much Kiss sucks and how <laughs> great this band called Triumph is. And I'm like, I've never heard of Triumph. He's like, well, I'm going to see him tonight. He goes, he goes, you want me to get their record for you? They sell their records at the show. And I'm like, sure. And my dad happened to give me $5, which was a lot of money, you know, back then. At least for me when I was, you know, I was 13 and 78. Um, I would have been 12 at the time. So this was the winter. So it probably would have been like February of 78. Was this in Florida? So, no, this is in Toronto. Oh, okay. So, um, so I give this kid's older brother, and he, sure enough, he comes back with Rock and Roll Machine. Great album. Um, he, uh, yeah, well, I still have it, because it was the original Canadian version. And I remember just playing that thing, like, over and over and over. And then, like, later in the year, I remember we had the radio on in art class, because the teacher would let us listen to the radio. And the DJ started talking about this new band called Triumph, and they played their song, Lay It on the Line, which is on the next record. My favorite one. This is like the... So, well, it's funny. Here's the, here's the stupid, funny story when I talk about just being a geeky fan. So, dude, it's just almost embarrassing, but keep in mind, I was 14 in 1979. So I hear Lay It on the Line for the first time on the radio the following year, and I'm like, I got a hockey trip coming up Toronto, because I don't think in my head, I'm like, well, hell, they, they don't sell Triumph Records in America. I, this is what I'm thinking in my head, because I'm an <laughs> idiot, idiot, idiot. So, so when we go to Toronto to play hockey, I made the family that I was staying with take us to the store so I could buy a, the, a Triumph record. Sure enough, they had just a game, and I, and I bought it there. You know, Again, when I, when I heard the song in school, I'm like, I'm going to Toronto in a few weeks for hockey. I'll make sure I get that. And sure enough, I did. So anyways, I've been, I've been, a, I've been a, a Triumph fan for a long time. But see, they let me down too. I, and, and everything after Never Surrender, I just, just didn't get into. I agree. And I, think they, and I think the band would even tell you that too, that they dropped the ball. There, there, I, there I will agree with you because I couldn't get into Thunder 7 and uh, whatever came on after that. But uh, to me, man, I mean, that, that, if there's ever an arena band from the 80s that doesn't get the recognition, it's Triumph. Because they were big. They were, but people kind of like forgot about them. And, you know, also the media. I mean, Magic Power is all over the radio and, and also uh, Fight the Good Fight. And, you know, and, you know, I'd like to touch upon that for a second. The song Fight the Good Fight, there, there's... That's something that's missing in music today. I, I did a song on uh, my other band called Combat that I wanted to do something p 
positive, like fight the good fight. Because you remember when we when we were growing up, we had fight the good fight. We had I am, I'm me from Twist Sister. We had these like empowering songs that like you know fuck you, you know you're coming against me, but we're gonna do it. So you know, I mean, I used to smoke cigarettes. So when I quit cigarettes, I wrote a a positive song about you know you can conquer anything. You know, um, it's a song called Demons, like locked in my brain. You know, I, I all, you know we all have demons. But I have mine locked down, you know, and you don't get music like that anymore. There's no positivity in lyrics anymore. Fight the good fight is such a great example of, you know, just, hey, man, you know, I'm going to make it and fuck you. You know, I'm the I'm the master of my own destiny. So give and take the best that you can. I miss that music. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was I saw that tour. Matter of fact, I think if memory serves, this was quite a bill. Uh, it was Triumph. I want to say it was Mahogany Rush and wow. Pat Travers. Wow. I think was on that. Yeah, it was, uh, that was at Cobo Hall. Um, that was a great, great show. I saw that um, tour, and it was Saxon, Denim and Leather tour. I didn't see, you know, I didn't see Saxon, who I love, by the way. Yeah. Matter of fact, Martin Pop, going back to my buddy Martin, he just wrote a Saxon book. Uh, I already, I'm waiting for it in the mail. I already sent him my money for it um but see you know there's another i was just gonna say that's another band I, the first time i saw them was on the crusader tour yeah and i don't like the record at all i mean i like the title tracks pretty good there's two um, songs i like off of yeah but coming off the uh, you know off of uh, the power and the glory and obviously denim and denim and letters great but i still think um strong of the law there's not a weak song on that entire record and how did that not get big over here? That album fucking rules, man. I, I love fucking Strong. I didn't, I didn't get to see them, but they did come here on that tour, open for uh, Rush on Permanent Waves. I wish I could have seen that one. God, matter of fact, uh, I, I got to send my money. I not do I Because they're putting out that deluxe version of Permanent Waves. Oh, Wave, yeah, I'm getting it for sure. Yeah, I have all the other ones. Yeah, um, me too. I just why? recently... Literally, like two weeks ago, got hemispheres after all this time. It's been out, but I have 2112, I have Fairwell to Kings, hemispheres. Now I got to get that. And I also have, uh, do you have the 200 gram version of the first Rush album? No, I, I have an original. That's one of the things with me. You know, obviously, I'm going to be a huge Kiss geek, you know. I don't buy any of those remasters. I didn't buy the. Well, it's a I, box. It's 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 a box set, just like the other ones. Really, I didn't. I hold on. So hold on. There's a box set. I mean, meaning one of those bigger for the first Rush record. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't bring anything extra musically, but yeah, it brings a lot of you know posters and 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 a nice book and pictures. Yeah, it's and and the sound is phenomenal on the on the. You know, it's not really really remat. I don't see a difference, but I just feel the sound is much better. Yeah, there is a box version of the first Rush album. Wow, I'm surprised that I don't own that. that, that that's totally out of character for me. I didn't even know about that. Yeah, look into it, man. It's out there. And it's not expensive at all, you know, because it's not like the other boxes that bring shows and extra vinyls and, you know, all, all this other stuff. But it does bring a lot of extra goodies inside. It's just, you know, musically, it's just the first Rush album. Oof. Although, you know, it's fun. I, I love that record. Um, but, you know, I 
one. I I miss Neil's because I love the way Neil reinterpreted the drum part, like on All the World's a Stage. Because I see All the World's a Stage is is just like Kiss Alive with me. Don't get me wrong, I love the version of Deuce on the first Kiss record, but the version on Kiss Alive is eight billion times better. And it's the same thing, you know, all the way through on on All the World's a Stage. Yes, I love Fly by Night. Yes, I love Anthem. Yeah, it's all great. But all that stuff is a billion times better on All the World's a Stage. That album is just pure magic for me. I There's not a second of fat on that record. And just the middle of Vitor and the Snow Dog on the live record, I mean, I get tears listening to it. I cannot believe how three people can play that well in unison. That, you know, just, uh, I can't say enough about that. That that album's just fucking insane good. Were you a, were you a fan of uh, Exit Stage Left? Not so much. You know, I, I go back to my Pee Wee's Big Adventure with that. I like Dottie. I like it. It's just okay. See, also, too, that's where I got off. I got off um, on Moving Pictures was the last record I really liked a lot. Um, Signals was was okay. Analog Kid's good. A couple other things in there. Um, but I remember when I first heard New World Man, I'm like, um, the police do this stuff way better. Please stop. Right. You know, I, I, I didn't like that. And it's funny that you mentioned Hemispheres. Hemispheres to me is the best Rush album ever. Um, and on my iPod, I have I have the Cygnus X one, you know, from Farewell to Kings, queued up right into part two. Um, you know, yeah, I, that like that's got to be a good twenty minutes worth of music or so. That I listen to that all the time. That that is everything that I love about Rush. And I, I will say, Chris, don't get me wrong, 2112, you know, a 10 out of 10, I love it. But if, if, if you had to put me on a, on a desert island and I only had to have one thing represent Rush, it, w- it would be this, the Cygnus X1 and Book 2 thing. And I, I love everything about that. It's just, it's just so fucking cool. Um, you know, from the storyline on, on down and, uh, Oh, it's genius. Yeah, I, there's just something about that record, man. You know, also, too, you know, was it side two at what? Uh, uh, Farewell? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, circumstances, and then it had uh, the trees, trees, and then the Via Strange. Yeah. yeah. Is that like that, that side of, can you really top that side of music for pure musicality no. anywhere? It's no, just unbelievably good. And you know what's so great about that, Mark? There's actual videos they made for them. And it's not them playing the song like onto the record. It's it's a music video, but they're playing it live. Yeah. And that's what the that that Hemispheres box that brings those videos. And uh, I remember seeing those videos for the first time back in when it was first released because HBO, between movies, they would show those videos. Which was wild. Well, you did, did you? Matter of fact, one of them because I, I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a huge bootleg collector for Kiss. That's that's really where I got, you know, because obviously you know I you know I'm friends with the band and all that stuff. That's where a lot of that came from because I, I you know I was a really geeky collector and um I you know I just been I love 
trying to find master tapes and and finding unreleased stuff and and, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, but you know what really started that is we didn't have you guys in Miami had HBO before we did. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, uh, uh, cable. Yeah, I had cable very early on. Yeah, we didn't get cable here till How did you feel living with that audio bootleg of Budokan for all those years to finally see it? Was oh, that... are you kidding? I can uh, imagine. I, I finally saw that in probably 86 on a Betamax. Wow. Um, somebody, yeah, it was probably mid-80s was the first time I saw it. And a friend of mine, that was really when I started you know I just worked in construction and all that stuff you know it's, it's what I've been doing my entire life you know we worked late hours we you know um, you know I used to go to record shows and stuff and that's when I remember first seeing bootleg videotapes but I didn't have a I didn't have a video player you know what I mean I didn't I, didn't, I don't think I bought a VHS till probably 1988 I was probably a little out of the you know, a little late to the to the game. But after that, then probably from 88 on, you know, I was collecting bootlegs, video-wise. Crazy, because I, I, would, I was already collecting cassettes. I started collecting cassettes in, like, 1980. But that, that's, what, that's what set me off, though, was hearing the, the Japan 77 show in, uh, in 1979. I think that was... Cause I think that came out in the summer, maybe. No, it couldn't have been. When, when did that debut on HBO? It had to be around 79, because uh, I, I, I vividly remember my cousins uh, from New York coming down and and uh, having to suffer me watching it constantly, because they played it a lot. And he's like, oh, you're watching well, again, this again? <laughs> I, I just know of it because of 
said of it, and I put it this way, it was, it was, I think a, it was definitely blue, and I think it was a Kmart, you know, bottom of the line fucking whatever sixty minute tape. Cause I oh, had, oh, so it was an official release. I thought it was some some guy burned it on a Betamax tape. Oh no! I, as I said, it's a cassette and audio. I, I didn't see the video until the mid eighties. Yeah, but that that Betamax was that an official release or was that like somebody just? No, t- no, no. That was no, no, no. That was matter of fact, the first Betamax that I saw of it in the mid eighties. I think, I think I'm going off of memory only. So anybody in the audience who goes, that didn't come out in that form. I think it was the Young Music Show from Japan. Oh. I think it was a it was a dubbed down version of of uh, the Young Music Show. Oh, okay. Um, but it's, it technically, it's, you know, it's the same thing. Right. In many ways. Um, but yeah, so, uh, that was the, that was, that was it. But I eventually then did see the actual HBO broadcast, but, um, I think the Young Music Show was the first version that I saw of that. Saw. First version I heard was the HBO version. Wow. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, because back then I didn't have a VCR. So, I mean, I didn't have a VCR till much later. I remember going to the movies to see Let There Be Rock, and I sat there for three showings, you know, because uh, <laughs> I and and I was supposed I was not supposed to be there. I would hide, you know, just to see it. I spent all Saturday watching Let There Be Rock in the theater, you know, because uh, that was the only way I can see ACDC back then. You know, I didn't have. Huh? Another another rock and roll thing is that I. I remember being really disappointed the first time that I saw, uh, what's the Zeppelin one? La, uh, Song Remains the Same. Yeah. That, even to this day, don't get me wrong, I, you know, I like the audio, um, but, the, I, you know, I was thought, the, I thought that was kind of dopey. I don't, I, you know, and I know this ain't a popular opinion, but I don't really think, I mean, to me, the highlight of that is no quarter. It's unbelievable. And the bonus stuff they put out later, like the, Misty Mountain Hop and, and, and the Ocean. I don't know why they didn't add Celebration. it. Celebration. Celebration. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't add that to the original. But anyway, I never. I thought they were kind of sloppy on that show. If you listen to uh, How the West Was Won and like those. Way better. Uh, uh, you know, I recently got the first box yeah. set. Great. Yeah, the baby. Y'all, I know. You're, look, man. I, how in the hell is. Uh, oh, no. Da, 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 we're going to group. How is Warner. We're going to group not on the first record. Unbelievable. So raucous. Why do people dog on Coda? Coda fucking rules. Oh, I disagree there, Mark. I know, because you're saying. What the fuck is wearing and tearing? I love wearing and tearing. We're going to groove. That's it. That's it. You don't need anything else. Well, yeah. No, they're. It doesn't even matter what's on the rest of the record because those two songs. Like worth the price. Yeah, they they are the highlights. I've always liked those two songs. Those two songs are are just so heavy and and raunchous and and kind of sporadic too, you know. And uh, yeah, I, but I, I you know just as a drummer, the Bonzo's mantra thing I like just because it's you know it's, I don't know it's also so weird. I, I like some weird stuff that that's kind of a, a weird listen. Speaking of weird, you know that was another thing. I, I, one of my favorite records, and it, it doesn't get talked about. I love Apostrophe from Frank Zappa. I, I that was one I grew up on, man. I, that I have that. I have that on CD. I think it's a po- an overnight sensation. On yeah, yes, correct. They're both on the same. I yeah. have that same CD copy. 
Oh, I love it. All that stuff's fantastic. You know, so I just yesterday I was talking about Joe's Garage to a buddy of mine where, um, you know, just talking about that right. There's a guy that doesn't get enough accolades for his music. It, maybe he did years ago, but I don't hear many people talking about Frank anymore. And that guy can just out and out play where obviously he could. He's deceased, but like, what, a, what an incredible artist. Man. I, I always loved his guitar playing. Very like, underrated you know, guitar player, actually. I love Frank Zappa. There's some albums that's a little too out there for me, but the ones I love, Sheik Your Booty, Joe's Garage, Overnight Sensation, Freak Out, I love those albums. It's apostrophe. Yeah, you're, yeah, uh, both, yeah. That, is, that is just uh, the fucking shit, boy. Um, love that stuff. <laughs> Look at this. We're almost two hours. Doesn't seem that way, does it? It never does. But, uh, <laughs> You have something planned for tonight? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go fucking uh, go have some ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, Actually, this was oh, awesome, man. Mark. I, 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 I had a feeling well, it was going to go this way. You well, know? put it this way. I, I, I knew it was going to be fun, and I, I, we need to do this more often. So, um, yeah, I would... Uh, shit, we barely scratched the surface, and we've been yeah, I mean, uh, maybe next time we're going to write down a list of bands we should really, you know, let the people know that aren't really, like, we, we scratched the surface of Triumphs, The Sweet, but there's so much more out there, you know, that, you we know. We didn't even talk about UFO. UFO, my God, Strangers in the Night, you yeah, know. We didn't talk about, we didn't, well, we barely touched on it. We didn't talk about fucking one of the greatest albums ever made is and accepts Restless and Wild. Oh. We didn't even talk about Yep, game changer. The greatest heavy metal ballad of all time is being Princess of the Night. And I say the word ballad in the true sense of what that word means. The greatest heavy metal ballad is Princess, excuse me, Princess of the Dawn. Yeah. Um, that, that, everything about that song to me is perfect. If, if I had to pick a perfect, perfect song, Princess of the Dawn to me is from the lyrics really cool German whatever the fuck instrument they're playing in the it sounds like they recorded it in a beer hall and I'm like this just rules beyond all ruledom I fucking just love that and obviously I, I remember the first time that I heard you know Fast as a Shark I'm like this is because nothing sounded like that at the time no it was the fastest song ever back then yeah Never heard yeah, of them. There's a recent band I'm into called Picture, though, actually. You wouldn't like them. They sound like King Diamond. Oh, well, look at the time. <laughs> Ice cream time. <laughs> <laughs> and we, and we got we to gotta talk. And something we also didn't talk about that we will do in the next episode, Double Live Gonzo. I, I could do just an entire <laughs> Fog Hat Live. Album cover. We uh, we did a tip of a tip of the cap to 
It does. It does. We're we're uh, we're an hour and forty minutes into this. One last question before you leave, though. Um, when um, did you have a lot of friends that gave up on music? Because I did. Um, Lost a passion. You know, I I not, put it this way: the people that I I hung out with and talked to that were music geeks back then. The most part still are most of most of my friends. I mean, put it this way: you and I are on a totally different level. Um, it's it it, it 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 look. It's like disease with us. Meaning, uh, if, if I can't talk rock or or you know listen to me, I'll go crazy. I don't know what I don't know what life would be like without. I wouldn't even think about it. You know everything. Because yeah, it's funny, you know, you know, Ralph, it's not a shtick with either one of us. You know, I'm wearing a concert shirt every day. I'm 50, I'm going to be 55. Yeah, but same thing. I don't do it to make it a statement other than, you know what, this is, this is part of who I am. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's, it, there's nothing poser about it. It's, it's like, this is, this is who I am. This is, this is, this means a lot to me, you know. Um, I, you know, I, again, I, you know, uh, I don't know if you ever saw that on, on three sides, they joke about the rotation, but there's no bullshit in that. I, I, <laughs> my, my fucking closet is nothing but black t-shirts <laughs> and, and, and it's, and it's like, you know, I, that's the great part when I go somewhere, I grab the first, if I'm going to be gone for a week, I grab the first seven, throw them in the fucking suitcase. I don't even, you know. I don't care. Whatever I wear, I'm wearing. Yeah, one, you know, I'm going to be well-represented. And, uh, and, and this just means a lot to me. So so to go back to your question, I have very few friends who are as into it as I am. Mm-hmm. But most of my friends who still, you know, they still dig it. But I was the one that they always went to for the, the geeky part of it, I guess. And, it, and it's a role that I'm, I'm proud to play, and it certainly sounds like you're the same way. Oh, yeah, know? big time. 
What what other would call useful uh, useless knowledge? I I think is very useful. I, I'm gonna I, and look, you know, I, I I get this every now and then, but I, I got to tell you, you know, um, you know who is a, a brethren of ours this way is uh, is Mr. Eric Singer. We sit we talk music all the time, and it's funny. I was messing with him because let me tell you, that guy knows his stuff. Eric Eric knows music. Put it this way: the way some people think about people like you and I are the way that I think about him. And I said something to him about about that once. I said, "You know what? You know, people think I know a lot about this stuff, dude. You're fucking insane." And he said to me, "He goes, I do know a lot about it. You know who's even more so than me is Paul Stanley." Wow. He said, "Paul." He said, "Paul can tell you every section player of every fucking." Um, It's intriguing. Uh, one thing I learned wild about you uh, listening to that, that Ted Nugent uh, episode was that you have Clive Davis's drum set. That's amazing. Well, I'm Cliff Davis. Clive Davis I'm sorry, Cliff. Record. Yeah, Cliff. Yes. Matter of fact, speaking of my new record, my band's new record, <laughs> I, that's the drum. matter of fact, the same exact kid that Ted recorded Wango Tango and Scream Dream is, and matter of fact, if you go look at Ted playing on Fridays, and if you go see Ted on the Monsters of Rock from California, that white drum set that Cliff is playing on, on Fridays and on the Monsters of Rock and what you hear on screen, that is the same exact kit that I'm playing on our new record. So, That's amazing. Um, I wonder if he played it when I saw the Scream Dream Tour. Pat Travers and Scorpions yeah. opened yep. that. Yeah, um, all the pictures, um, uh, all the pictures um, that uh, we've seen. This is kind of kind of a cool story. Um, like I said, I've been playing drums for a long time, and uh, Eric Singer's the one who who helped me get the set. Uh, uh, let, let me go back a, a little bit. Um, a couple years ago. Um, the guy who's playing drums for Ted Nugent now, um, Jason Harless, great, great drummer. And amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Amazing lineup. The bass player is awesome, too. Yeah, the entire thing is amazing. And, and anyways, well, um, um, Jason's, I knew Jason's dad back in the club days. Jason's dad's the same age as I am, and he played in uh, bands the same time I was playing around in Detroit. Well, uh, his son, Jason Jr., plays for Ted now and he's just I mean this guy is just uh, phenomenal uh, just uh, you know a super talented but anyways um, the guy because you know Cliff is, is since passed the guy 
guy who had the drum set got a hold of Jason to see if he wanted to buy it. And, and Jason said, you know, you know it's, it's interesting and cool and everything, but, you know, I, I, you know, he's got a bunch of kids, and, you know, I, wherever he was living at the time, he couldn't, I think something like that, he, he, you know, just didn't have room for it. I don't know what exactly. I, I, all I know is he passed on But then he got a hold of, of Eric Singer, because he's friends with Eric as well. And Eric said, you know, I have a friend, meaning me, he's like, I have a friend of mine who really go crazy over that if given the chance. So so Eric got a hold of me and then, you know, he gave me this guy's information and he was I guess a friend of Cliff Davies, you know, growing up and he got the kit right from Cliff. And Cliff hand signed the inside of all the shells. Wow. And wrote screen green tour. Now, so here's here's where it gets even cooler. I grew up a couple doors down, uh, the, the woman, well, she's my friend, uh, but she married into the Nugent family. Um, her husband is Ted's wife's brother. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so anyways, I, I, I had these pictures of the drums, and I wanted to make sure that the signature, you know, that Ted would be able to verify it. Mm-hmm. So, so I gave, I sent the pictures over and, uh, and he said, hell, I don't even have to see the signatures. I, I played around the world with those drums. Those are the drums. Those are the exact ones. I can tell you that just looking at them. And uh, he verified everything through the pictures that I sent, uh, you know, my friend. So that was a great thing. And then, you know, like as you heard on the show, Jason did sound check or brought my, my snare sound check. And then uh, Ted signed the inside of it. So. You know, um, yeah, it's, you know, just pretty cool and, you know, pretty, pretty cool story. And, and I just love being able to share that sort of stuff with, with people because I, I love that story. If I heard it and I was on the other side of the fence, you know what I mean? That's no, just, I, I, I love that story. When I heard it on the show, I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. Rest and, in peace. Uh, he was a great drummer. Oh, he really was. And I tell you what, you know, and I, I said this on the Nugent episode, if anybody here's listening is a Ted fan and kind of goes right back into Martin Popoff's book, I helped Martin with a book called Epic. And and if you're a fan of Ted Nugent's music, it's all about his music. Um, that book's phenomenal because there's interviews with, uh, matter of fact, Martin did the very last interview with Cliff Davies that he did before he passed. Mm-hmm. And there's interviews with uh, with Derek St. Holmes and Charlie Hume and you know everybody that was in the Nugent band um, and even like the guys who were in like Amboy Duke. So, so it's, it's, it's and I helped Martin out with the book that you know once again you know one of the reasons I got involved in the Kiss organization is I have quite the archive of, of Kiss press clippings and newspaper articles. Well, I I have the same thing with Ted. I you know I always collected stuff whenever Ted was in. Um, you know, the newspaper, which was a lot. Um, and I shared all that with Mark, and uh, that book is phenomenal. And as you heard, Ted, even Ted said it. He goes, wow, he goes, I usually don't pay attention to that stuff, but yeah, you know, that book is really good. So, you know, even when, when Ted gave it the thumbs up, um, you know, I was pretty pretty happy that uh, that he thought it was really cool, too. So, uh, And again, you know, that, that book is all about Ted's music. There's, put it, you can never say there's no politics, because 
That's very awesome, man. Well, Mark, I hear your ice cream melting. I know. I got to look. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, getting thinner by the second. Okay. <laughs> we didn't even talk about Molly Crew. We didn't, we didn't fucking mention it. Yeah, yeah, the, the L.A. explosion, you know? Uh, Wasp. We didn't, talk about, we didn't talk about Cheap Trick. We didn't, oh, talk, and yeah. we didn't talk about the Stones. You know, mm-hmm. we the, there's so much we didn't even fucking talk about yet. Wasp. Yeah. I share that before on three sides, but I've got an incredible wasp story. An incredible wasp story. I do too. I have I have a wasp story where Blackie wanted to kick my ass, but I'll, I'll say that for <laughs> it's now, a well, Blackie, Blackie wanted to kiss mine. That was uh, and I and I mean that in the nicest of ways. Wow. Um, that yeah, that was. Uh, let's just say, put it this way, and I'll I'll leave you with it. I had something that Blackie wanted. Blackie wanted to know how much I wanted for it. I told him he could have it, and he didn't believe me. I'm like, no, you can have it. And he's like, you're kidding. And I'm like, no, cheers. Wow. And he, yeah, and he did something very nice for me. And uh, I'll share that next time uh, Next time we get together. Yeah, tune in and see what Mark gave Blackie. And, uh <laughs> And and also tune in to hear why he wanted to kick my ass. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Well, Ralph, well, been been a pleasure, man. You're a great, great guy. Just Thank you, man. So are you. And, uh, and I will, uh, you know, good luck, stay safe, and uh, all the best to you, my friend. God bless you. Right. Thank you so much, Mark. There you go, Mark Chikiti. We didn't really talk too much about his band, Left for Dead, who just released something. You can pre-order it now. And uh, speaking of his band and his new music. Let's go in the vault. All right, we're in the vault. And I'm going to play something off uh, Left 4 Dead's new album featuring Mark Cicchini on drums. And he does some vocals, too. Um, It was hard picking a song, to tell you the truth. There's several songs I wish I could have played. But uh, fuck it. I picked the first track off it. It's awesome. The way to describe this band, it's like blue-collar rock and roll, but they get metallic at times, and this is a good example of when they get metallic. This is track one off the new Left 4 Dead album. Turn this up. It's called Bulletproof.
bulletproof left for dead look at the description below you can pre-order it if you like what you hear i pre-ordered it and uh hey thanks for uh listening at the end of another viera vault especially if you're listening to me now uh i have another episode next week i got another episode for the next few weeks and i'm working on new ones so I'm not stopping, man. Every Sunday, you're going to get a new Vieira vault. Lucky you. You rule. Thank you so much, everybody. Till next time. Schmack-a-ma-gob. <laughs>